name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And, and we are the Extra Sisters. Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to another Haunted Happy Hour. And in this Haunted Happy Hour, we are going to discuss winter folktales. And before we get going too much, my house went under contract today. Yeet, yeet. But also, I am in a fucking empty room. So I, I know I've talked about this before, but I used to have sound panels in here. And I had this whole decked out audio thing. And now it's just four walls that are just throwing the sound around like it's fucking crazy town. So I'm sorry for the additional echo, but, you know, it is... It do what it do. It is what it is. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and I gotta say like winter folktales versus holiday folktales, that distinction is kind of difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we did Christmas and like holiday lore last year. And it was like so many things were that de- like kept finding the same things. And I was like, no, no, I just want cold weather. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just snowy stuff. There's no ghost stories about people dying in the snow. Come on. That's all I want. There's got to be something from like Russia <laughs> or like Nova Scotia or something. Right. Also, I have this, I have to look it up because I have a major, major recommendation for everyone here. And I don't know if you would like this, Kristen. This is something about your palate that I don't know. <laughs> There's this juice from Trader Joe's. And it is called a winter wassail, 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 I don't know, but it's like this wintry juice that tastes like Christmas. And I poured spiced rum in it. Is it Holy shit. Wassail? Wassail. Yeah. W-A-S-L-A. My grandmother used to make that. Okay. Trader Joe's has it in a fucking jug and that's what I'm drinking. I put it in the microwave, heated it up, put some spiced rum in it and it tastes like fucking lit Christmas. Is that what you're drinking right now? That's what I'm drinking right now. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Except I put so much rum in it that I I told Kristen, I was like, I'm sorry. I was a little late getting on. I took one drink of my drink and I about burned my eyebrows off. (laughs) So I had to like cut the ratio a little bit, Uh, but it's really good. And it, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, it's Christmas, but it's alcohol. So highly recommend. Yeah. So we were going to talk about these spooky winter ghost stories. And most of these are like, or I guess mine are like American, Canadian, this kind of area. Yeah, I think I have one from Ukraine. Other than that, I think, yeah, they're just around, around our parts. Yeah, I grew up in the South, so there was nothing spooky about winter. (laughs) So I didn't have snow, but like I could definitely see how snow would be really scary because of all the Especially, like, whiteout conditions. Oh, yeah. When I got my first, like, whiteout condition here, I was like, this is fucking scary. hmm And the sound the wind fucking makes? Oh, my yeah. God. Hell no. Exactly. Where are, like, the Donner Party stories or something? Yeah, exactly. Or, like, the ones where the movies are, like, making horrifying, like, man-eating reindeer. That's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> So the first story I have is from Canadian folklore, and it is of the Wendigo. Now, this is a story that is retold by S.E. Schlosser. So again, this is a written story, and this is just kind of a passed down story. And it's actually a native First Nation story. So uh, that's pretty cool. The storm lasted so long they thought they would starve. Finally, when the wind and swirling snow had died away to just a memory, the father, who was a brave warrior, ventured outside. The next storm was already on the horizon, but if food was not found soon, the family would starve. Keeping his knife and spear close, he ventured out upon the most frequently used game trail, watching intently for some sign in the newly fallen snow of animal footprints or movement of any kind. 
The forest lay deep and oddly silent under its gleaming coating of ice and snow. Every creature of sense lay deep within its burrow and slept. Still the warrior hunted, knowing how desperate his family had become. As he moved through the eerie stillness, broken only by soft caress of wind, he heard a strange hissing noise. It came from everywhere and nowhere at once. The warrior stopped, his heart pounding. That was when he saw the blood-soaked footprints appearing on the path in front of him. He gripped his knife, knowing that somewhere, watching him, was a wendigo. He had learned about the wendigo at his father's knee. It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strong hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. The warrior knew he would have just one chance to prevail over the wendigo. After that, he would die, or the thought was too terrible to complete. Slowly, he backed away from the bloody footprints, listening to the hissing sound. He gripped spear in one hand, knife in the other. Then the snowbank to his left erupted as a creature as tall as a tree leapt out at him. He dove to one side, rolling into the snow so that his clothing was covered, and he became hard to see in the gray twilight of the approaching storm. The wendigo whirled its massive frame and the warrior threw the spear. It struck the creature's chest, but the wendigo just shook it off as if it were a toy. The warrior crouched behind a small tree as the creature searched the torn-up snow for a trace of him. The wendigo loomed over his hiding place, its sharp eyes seeing the outline of him against the tree. It bent down, long arms reaching. The warrior leapt forward as if the embrace of the creature and thrust his knife into its fathomless black eye. The wendigo howled in pain as the blade of the knife sliced into its brain cavity. It tried to pull him off its chest, but the warrior clung to the creature, stabbing it again and again in its eyes and in its head. The wendigo collapsed to the ground, bleeding profusely, almost crushing the warrior beneath its bulk. He pulled himself loose and stared at the creature, which blended in with its white surroundings so well that he would have not seen it except for the blood pouring from its eyes, ears, and scalp. Then the outline of the creature grew misty and it vanished, leaving only a pool of blood to indicate where it had fallen. So <clears throat> it goes into a little bit. They talk about because of it, they had blessings and things like that, but it's not just one First Nations tribe that had this Wendigo, Nova Scotia, East Coast of Canada, Great Lakes region of Canada, and the United States. There's several groups that actually believed in the Wendigo. And there were human Wendigos. In some traditions, humans who were overpowered by greed could turn into Wendigos. And the myth basically said they would turn into cannibals to survive. And so Wendigo was just kind of a I'm not going to say a catch-all because with each First Nations tribe in all of these different regions, it was something different, but it always had to do with some sort of like winter famine or something like that, uh, starvation, coldness, but it was definitely an association with winter and it was mm -hmm. also always terrifying. So. <laughs> I love the Wendigo. That is one of my favorite creatures. It's just so interesting of a tale. Now, I don't know, like, I know that there are, like, depictions of Wendigo, but really in film, I don't think there's been a time that I've really ever seen of the Wendigo. Uh, I know TV, Supernatural did an episode on it. There's a video game, Until Dawn, which is amazing, on the PlayStation, that they it is about Wendigos. That was fucking awesome. 
it's not done a lot, which I think is part of why I love it so much. It's so near and dear to my heart because not many people will talk about a Wendigo, but it's the people that really love horror and mythology and really get into the creatures and stuff that'll look up Wendigos. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So I'm pretty sure all of these stories are by the same person by the way yeah i think that she so these are all like folklore but i think this person adapted them so Mm -hmm. so i also have another story by se schlosser and it's titled hold him tab yep i remember what it was like before the railroad came through these parts i used to earn my living by carting supplies from town to town on horse-drawn wagons not easy work no sir especially in winter One cold December day, I was traveling with my buddy Tab, when it began to snow. Gee willikers, it was cold. We needed to find shelter quick, and I was delighted when I spotted an abandoned house. We thought we were real lucky finding such a good shelter. As we unhitched the horses, a fellow stepped by to talk to us. Claimed he was the owner of the property. Told us we were welcome to stay, but the house was haunted. The owner said that no one who had ever stayed in that house had made it out alive. That was good enough for me. I hitched old Betsy back up to the wagon and moved up the road to a stand of trees that offered some shelter from the snow. Tab said he wasn't afraid of no ghosts, and he didn't plan on perishing in the snow. I wasn't about to risk my neck in a haunted house. I built a fire as best I could and waited through the long night, wondering a couple of times if Tab wasn't the smart one. Well, just about dawn, I gave up trying to sleep and went back down the road to see how Tab had fared for the night. I peeked through the windows on the first floor. I saw Tab snoozing peacefully in a big bed. He looked warm and happy. Then I saw a movement on the ceiling. I looked up, and there was a large man, dressed all in white, floating flat against the ceiling. The man was right over Tab, looking down on him. Tab, I hissed, tapping on the window. Tab, get out of there, you fool! Tab woke, but instead of looking toward the window... He looked straight up and saw the man on the ceiling. Tab gave an awful yell, but before he could move out of the bed, the man fell and landed right on top of him. Now, Tab was a big, strong fellow, but that ghost was powerful. They wrestled back and forth on the bed. I gave a shout and smashed the glass in the window, shouting, Hold him, Tab! Hold him! Just then, the ghost flung himself and Tab right at me, knocking me back out of the window and into the snow. The ghost levitated himself and Tab onto the roof of the front porch. I kept shouting, Hold him, Tab! Hold him! The ghost and Tab were wrestling frantically on the porch roof. The ghost gave a mighty leap and threw Tab onto the roof of the house. Hold him, Tab! I shouted, Hold him! Then the ghost lifted Tab right into the air. I got him, Tab cried, but he got me too! They were floating a few feet off the roof, still grappling with each other, and then the ghost carried Tab straight up into the air and they vanished. I never saw Tab again. That is such a classic ghost story. Mm-hmm. It is. I love it. It's about time we tell ghost stories on here. Especially in the winter and for Christmas. Do you remember, I know this is kind of off track, how fucking hard we were laughing though last Christmas? Mm-hmm. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Beating, yeah, children. Beating children. Beating sim- children. Simpler times. Talking <laughs> about ghosts. Just remember when it was beating children. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one is a ghost story from Newfoundland. And it is, this one's called Presumed Drowned, but I'm just kind of going to go through it without, like, just kind of as a a rough reading, I guess. 
1914, the Newfoundland sailed up to the ice, an iced area with a crew of about 250 men. On March 30th, 77 men went out on the ice to kill seals, which is so sad. A mighty storm came up. I know that it, people did it and still do it. It's fine. Culturally, it's fine. A mighty <laughs> storm came up while the men were out that lasted two days and the men could not make it back to the ship. When the storm stopped, other ships came and helped the crew of the Newfoundland search for the missing men. 72 were found dead and five were missing and assumed drowned. The ship sailed home and did not go to the ice all of the next year. She was considered to be unlucky. And ice is capitalized, but yeah. To break the curse, the ship was rebuilt and changed so that she would drown no more men. Her new name was the Sound Blanford, and she was sent out to the ice two years after that storm. On the 30th day of March, she met up with another ship called the Terra Nova. As night fell, fog rolled in, and the crew of the Sound Blanford heard the Terra Nova blowing the whistle. This was the signal that she still had men out on the ice. As it was customary, the crew of the Sound Blanford started blowing their whistle, and those above deck could hear voices calling out from the ice and presumed they belonged to the sailors from the Terra Nova. The two ships kept up their signals until 10 p.m. when the voices ceased and all were presumed safely aboard ship. The next morning, a sailor from the San Blanford boarded the Terra Nova to conduct some business. The captain of the ship immediately asked the sailor what time the members of the San Blanford crew had gotten aboard the previous night. The sailor was confused. We didn't have anyone out on the ice, he told the captain. But the captain and his crew swore that they heard and had seen several men board that ship shortly before 10 o'clock. When the sailor returned, he reported this incident to his captain. The captain took him aside and told him that the report was true. A few members of the night crew had seen five men climb aboard the Sun Blanford shortly before 10 p.m. The men were wearing tattered clothing that looked as if it had been ripped and worn out by the waves of the sea and the crew could see right through their shiny bodies. One of the sailors on duty that evening had been on the Newfoundland when she lost 77 men two years ago that very night. He had recognized the faces of the ghosts as those belonging to the five men who were presumed dead. Their spirits had finally returned to the ship from which they had been lost, and they could now rest in peace. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. ships are the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, that really, yeah. I, I agree. Now, I haven't seen many haunted ship horror movies, but I know they're out there. I just haven't watched them yet. Agreed. I think we just had one in 2019 called Mary, but I haven't seen it yet. I need to because Gary Oldman's in it. Like, how bad can it be, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything Gary Oldman's been in that's bad. Right. All right. A Ukrainian ghost story, also by S.E. Schlosser. Oksana lived in a small house on the edge of town with her father, her stepmother, and her stepsister. Oksana's stepmother disliked Oksana, favoring her true daughter, Olina. Soon after her father's remarriage, Oksana found that all the housework fell to her while Olina idled her days away. Oksana's father was a timid man and could not bring himself to defy his wife, so Oksana wore Olina's cast-off clothes and her hands grew red and chapped from scrubbing in the cold while Lena attended parties, growing lazy and spoiled. One year, when the winter snows were particularly fierce, Oksana's family ran out of money. Oksana's stepmother began nagging her father to send Oksana away because they could not afford to keep two girls. Reluctantly, Oksana's father agreed. 
he took Oksana to a cottage deep in the woods and left her there. Oksana was very frightened. The woods were said to be filled with demons and monsters. But she was also practical. She entered the cottage with her small bundle and found a fireplace, a lopsided table, and a rusty old pot. She put away the loaf of bread, the knife, and the slab of cheese her father had given her. She folded the blanket and laid it near the fireplace. Then she collected the wood and built a fire. Oksana knew the bread and cheese would not last her all winter. She had made a snare using the thin, flexible branches of the trees and caught a snow rabbit to eat. She also dug under the deep snow and found some roots and berries for food. By dark, she had melted water for drinking and used the rest to make a stew. So Oksana ate well. Then she lay down near the fire for the night, listening to the wind howl and pretending to herself that she was not afraid of the woods. It was midnight when the knock came. It echoed hollowly through the dark cottage. Oksana woke with a start, her heart pounding in fear. It came again. Oksana thought of the monsters. She hid under her blanket, praying that they would go away. Oksana rose, grabbing a branch. She crept towards the door. The wind howled eerily down the chimney. Oksana swallowed and swung the door open. There was nothing there. Her heart pounded fiercely as she stared out at the snow, whipping about in the light of her small fire. Then she looked down. Oksana let out a shriek of terror and let back, dropping her stick. It was a demon, an evil spirit. It had no body. Who are you? Oksana stuttered, clutching the door with shaking hands. I am Cow's head, it replied. Indeed, Oksana saw at once that it was. The head was brown with curved horns and strange, haunted eyes. "'I am cold and hungry. May I sleep by your fire?' the cow's head asked. Its voice was cold and lifeless. Oksana gulped down her horror. "'Of course,' she said. "'Lift me over the threshold,' demanded the cow's head hollowly. Oksana did as she was bidden. "'Place me near the fire.' Anger warred with compassion inside her, but compassion won. Oksana put it next to the fire." I am hungry, said the cow's head. Feed me. Oksana thought of her meager food supply. The stew left in the pot was for her breakfast. She fed it to cow's head. I will sleep now, it said. There was no softening in its attitude toward her. Nonetheless, Oksana made it comfortable for the night, giving it her blanket and sleeping in a cold corner with only her cloak to keep her warm. When she woke in the morning, cow's head was gone. Where it had slept was a large trunk, filled with the most beautiful gowns she had ever seen. Under the gowns lay heaps of golden jewels. Oksana stared blankly at the riches in front of her. Her father's voice roused her. Daughter, I am come. Oksana forgot the trunk in her joy. She ran into his arms. He had defied her stepmother to come and bring her back to their home. Papa, come see! Oksana exclaimed as she pulled him into the cottage. Her words tumbled over each other as she explained. Her father took her home. She was honored in her town for her compassion and her bravery, and won scores of suitors. She married soon after her return from the cottage. Hearing Oksana's story and seeing the riches she had received, Olena went to the cottage in the forest and spent the night there. But when cows had appeared, she was too lazy to serve it. In the morning, all her gowns had turned to rags and her possessions to dust. But Oksana lived to a ripe old age in happiness and prosperity. Not such a spooky one, that one, but still fucking cool. 
Um, all her shit turned to dust. I don't know. That's kind of fucking spooky. I mean, yeah, that's me. spooky. But, <laughs> but the, first, <laughs> the, the first half of it is almost like I know that there's a story of Jesus doing a similar thing of showing up to people that don't believe in him and then leaving in the morning. A story. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Also a spooky story. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just, no. You're like, yeah, yeah, that guy that says he can like do miracles and he's like, watch this bitch. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, bye. Yeah. All right. This one is a French Canadian folk tale and it is called The Flying Canoe. Long ago, there were a number of lonely lumberjacks working in the center of a very large forest. They cut down trees, watched them crash into the snow exactly where they should. They would cut up trees and haul them here and there. They worked hard, but they were lonely for the women they had left behind. On New Year's Day, it snowed so hard, no work could be done. So they huddled in their camp and spoke of their homes. They passed around the rum, same, and drank toast to the new year. But finally, one of the men, Baptiste, said that what they were all thinking. I wish to go home today and see my girl. There were murmurs of agreement, but Jean replied, how can we go home? There's more than two meters of snow and more is falling. Who said we were going to walk? He asked. I'm going to paddle out in my canoe. Now the men all knew that he had a canoe with paddles out back of the camp. Baptiste had made a pact with the devil. If the devil would make the canoe fly wherever he wanted, the lumberjack would not say mass for an entire year. However, if Baptiste did not return the canoe before dawn of the day after he used it, the devil could keep his soul, which is always a bad bid because he's going to try to sabotage you, you know. Right. You just don't fucking make deals with the devil. <laughs> While he and his companions were in Lush. Ooh, that's a French word. <laughs> Ooh, that's a French word. <laughs> that's a French word. <laughs> they could not say the name of God or fly over it. I'm assuming it's it's the canoe. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's the canoe. They could not say the name of God or fly over a church or touch any crosses or the canoe would crash. Why not just use canoe? Stop being fancy. Many of the men refused to participate, which is fair. Because you're going to see your woman anyways. You know what I mean? Right. But he managed to find seven companions to fly with him back to their hometown to visit their women. In a canoe? in In a flying satanic canoe. Yeah. Seven people? That's a crowded Seven. canoe. That is a crowded <laughs> canoe. It's probably one of those big ones, you know. <laughs> Baptiste and his friends got into the canoe, and Baptiste said the magic words. Some more French words. Abracadabra. It is acabri, acabra, acabram, I think, is how you say that. When Baptiste was done binding himself to the devil, the canoe rose into the air, and the men began to paddle their way through the sky to their homes. Their women were so glad to see them. They celebrate. Okay, if I let me hold on, I'm sorry. I'm taking a drink. Wait a second. If Bradley just showed up in a flying canoe, <laughs> I would have some fucking questions. <clears throat> For sure. And I would immediately be like, "Oh, devil! That's the devil's work." <laughs> right. That's the devil. I've seen Faust. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did some shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They celebrated long into the night, drinking and dancing. It was almost dawn when the men realized they had to return the canoe to the lumber camp or forfeit their souls. 
yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you're te- also telling me that you can't just have, you have, these are your women folk. Okay. <laughs> you can't just have a quick quickie and like leave, you know, no, 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 so no, no. I know that's all you want. That's why you miss them so much. Right. Exactly. Uh, like, you didn't miss them. No, this is <laughs> what long ago. Like that's all it says. Uh, this is not the time when you cared. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know women were loved by their men Some. because they were like, they were, like, they loved their silver. They loved their women, but <laughs> like, you know, like, come on. Anyways, they searched for Batiste and found him as drunk as a, <laughs> he's super fucking drunk, lying under a <laughs> table at the inn. They bundled him into the canoe, spoke the magic words and paddled away. Knowing that he would start swearing if they woke him, one of the men tied him up and gagged him so he would not speak the name of God at an inopportune moment and crash the canoe. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. When Baptiste awoke, he sat up, struggling with the ropes that bound him. He managed to loosen the gag and shouted, Mon Dieu. I don't know. I'm assuming he said, My God. Yeah. (laughs) Why have you tied me up? At the name of God, the canoe fucking took a nosedive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It hit the top of a large pine tree and all the men fell out down into the darkness. They were never seen again because they were plunged straight into the depths of hell. I hope somebody slapped him when he said that. When he went, Mondo! They were like, bam! Before they died. I mean, they tried to gag him at least. They were like, he's going to wake up and fucking... <laughs> Ruin everything. See, now we don't go, my God. We go, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly yeah it would have been a much shorter conversation that's funny yeah 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 what the last one i have is called haunted christmas a wisconsin ghost story the soft fuck the soft fuck. I already, I already fucked it up. I already <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> this story, the three words in, it's already taken a turn. All right. We're done. <laughs> Have a good Christmas. Bye. Right. The soft thud of following footsteps echoed behind him as he hurried through the snowflakes toward home. They kept pace with him, quickening when he quickened and slowing when he slowed. It was creepy. His flesh crawled at the sound and he sped up cursing himself for walking home alone from the midnight Christmas mass. Normally not a pious man, the middle-aged bachelor had suddenly been struck by a wish to hear the old Christmas song sung once again by a church choir and had walked across town to attend the service. Now he regretted his choice as he passed dark house after dark house in the snowy night and the footsteps ever followed. He sped up until he was nearly running and skidded into his street. A few more paces brought him to the bottom of his front steps. And as he dashed up them, he realized suddenly that the following footsteps had ceased abruptly. He glanced behind him at the cross street from which he had just turned and saw only one pair of footprints in the snow covered streets when there should have been two. He frowned in puzzlement and then shuddered as a cold breeze struck him, driving snow against his collar and slammed against the door. Almost, it seemed to pass through the door, but that was superstitious nonsense. His hand was shaking as he unlocked the front door and hurried inside. He expected darkness, but was delighted to see the yellow glow of firelight coming from his study doorway upstairs. His old housekeeper, whom he thought firmly asleep in her attic room, must have lit the fire, pending his return. 
He shrugged out of his coat and paused for a moment, amazed to find it still warm and dry, though he had walked for more than a mile through a snowstorm. It was almost as if he'd been walking in a bubble of calm air, though he remembered the soft snowflakes hitting his face when he first stepped out of the church, before the mysterious footsteps began. His shudder was interrupted by a shout of greeting as his old friend Andy came hurrying out of the study. His whole face lit up in a grin at the unexpected surprise. The two men shook hands heartily and retreated back to the warmth of the firelight, talking so fast they stumbled over each other's words. And had, Andy had left town years ago to take a government job in D.C., and they hadn't seen each other since. Nearly an hour passed before it occurred to him that his guest might be hungry. His offer of a meal was instantly accepted. But Andy was unwilling to leave the comfort of the fire to eat in the kitchen, so he jogged downstairs alone to fetch some food. He didn't wonder at his friend's reluctance to join him in the kitchen. Andy had looked very pale and had kept shivering with cold while they talked. He hoped his friend wasn't ailing for anything. A few moments later, he was back with warmed-up meat and potatoes and a couple of glasses of beer, apologizing profusely as he handed Andy a plate for the mismatched dinnerware. Andy just laughed and hunkered down to eat. When they were both finished, he showed his friend to a guest room and then tumbled into his own bed to sleep, all his apprehension caused by mysterious footsteps forgotten in the visit of his friend. He jumped out of bed Christmas morning and dashed immediately downstairs to the guest room to rouse his friend. Andy wasn't there, and the bed had not been slept in. That was odd. He ran down to look in the study, but Andy wasn't there either, and one plate full of food was sitting on the end table beside his old friend's chair. It was completely untouched, though he'd seen Andy eating from it the night before. Skin creeping at the thought, he ran to the kitchen and asked his housekeeper if she'd seen Andy. But the housekeeper had seen no one, either the previous night or this morning. He flopped down on the bottom step of the staircase, completely baffled. Where had Andy gone? It was a mystery that plagued him all Christmas Day, and he did not enjoy his holiday dinner at all, a fact that annoyed his housekeeper. He was awakened the next morning from a restless sleep by the sound of the front doorbell. He stumbled out of bed and was splashing water from the bedside pitcher onto his sleepy eyes when a knock came at his bedroom door. When he answered, his housekeeper handed him a telegram that had just arrived. As she hurried back downstairs to prepare his breakfast, he opened it curiously, not knowing who would be telegraphing him so urgently. As he read the telegram, he started to tremble. The message was short and to the point. Andy's family regretted to inform him that his old friend Andy had passed away on Christmas Eve in his home in Washington, D.C. He sat down hard on the bed, the telegram fluttering away from his hand. It must have been Andy who had followed him home on Christmas Eve. That would explain the eerie footsteps and the dry coat in the middle of the snowstorm. He'd spent Christmas Eve with a ghost. Oh, that's the best way to spend <laughs> Christmas Eve. With a good ghost. G -g -g ghost. <laughs> I mean, that's all we really can do. It's like, yeah, Brad and whatever ghosts want to hang out with us because COVID fucking sucks. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Nobody's going to get to see their family, so all the dead family can come hang out because that's all we got this year. <laughs> Bring it. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing things properly, because if you're not, then fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did I tell you hmm. we got our first one star on Apple Podcasts? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, but they didn't say anything. So I'm pretty sure it's just someone that we were like, 
you're doing everything fucking wrong. Stop going out or vote for this. Or like, you know, that may not be what it is, but like, I'm sure that's what it is. (laughs) That's so frustrating. Yeah. Like, tell me if it's a one fucking star. What did we do? We're going to get another one after this watch. Oh, God. Oh, well. I mean, two years in and we got our first one. That's awesome. That's true. Thank you, guys. Appreciate mm-hmm. all the all the ratings. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Especially because we don't fucking ask for them. You guys just, that's cool. Exactly. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, none of the other ones I had were interesting. So that's real, that's all I got, Mean. Yeah. Well, we yeah. ended with the Christmas one. Oh, yeah. Like, very now that my Yeah. Now that my house is under contract, I get to put up my Christmas tree. <laughs> Christmas tree. tree. Yeah. So yeah. I will not be doing that either way because I'm lazy. <sighs> if it wasn't <laughs> pandemic, I would come put it up for you because <laughs> that's just who I am. I'm like, if you don't have Christmas spirit, I will have it for you. <laughs> Perfect. I will come put that shit up for you. You're going to watch at least one Christmas movie, right? Actually, I already did. I watched the Santa Claus and the Santa Claus 2. And I watched Rudolph. Look at me. Look at me. Oh my God. You've watched more than me. I've watched Jim Carrey's The Grinch. And I watched The Grinch that Illumination Studios did last year that I never got to see, which is the studio that did Despicable Me. I started it, but it was so boring in the beginning. Did it get better? Yeah, it did. It did get better. It's still like not my favorite. I'll watch it, you know, because I think it like I hate Elf because I don't like Will Ferrell's comedy and I think Mm -hmm. it's stupid. So I like it better than like that one. But like I'll still like watch the Santa Claus and like some of the classics over it like any day. But yeah, it was not it was not bad. Maybe I'll have to get another try. Three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't then. Jeez. Okay, it was like three and a half. Like <laughs> it was, it was warm and fuzzy, and like it was a really sweet message. And I like that they had like a single mom aspect to it because you don't see that very much, especially in Christmas movies. Which so they went like a very different route, which I really appreciated. So no, that was yeah. it. Was had some really good aspects. So yeah, I liked it. But they took it off Netflix, or so they're taking it off this weekend. And I was like, what? y'all always take your Christmas movies off of Netflix at Christmas. It's the same thing with Halloween. They take all the fucking horror off in October. What the hell? I know. I'm sure, like, whoever owns them does that shit so that they will, like, make people buy them. But Mm -hmm. it's, like, y'all are so annoying. (laughs) God. Well, thank you guys for hanging out and listening to our little folk tales or ghost stories for winter. Hope you're having a good December and you're staying safe and you're not getting sick. And if you are, I hope that you're doing okay. If you would like to head over to Patreon, we actually did a fun little Christmas ditty over there yesterday. <laughs> it's Christmas because it's called the Green Inferno. For sure. You know, lots of red and green. So if you'd like to go listen to our review of that, which is... Eli Roth's soft remake of Cannibal Holocaust, which I'm sure you heard our review of that one this year. Patreon.com slash The Extra Sisters Podcast. Thank you so much to our patrons for making this year awesome and our first year of having a Patreon really cool and special. And coming up in you know this next year, we'll see what the year brings. And of course, you can follow us on all of our social medias. Everything is The Extra Sisters Podcast, except for Twitter, which is at The Extra Sisters. And you can hit up our Gmail if you want to email us at the sisters at gmail.com. Yes, thank you guys, all of you, for listening to us this year. It, it's been a hard one. Until next time, stay creepy. 